How many books do you have at your place? Most of us take books for granted. After all, they're everywhere. And almost all come from publishers and printers around the world. You may be wondering, if this podcast is about architecture and design, why am I talking about books? Well, welcome to Books, Episode 17 of Prairie Design Lab, coming to you from the Faculty of Architecture at the University of Manitoba. My name is Terry McLeod, and I'm the host, producer, and writer of Prairie Design Lab. Now let's get back to books. In late January, a group of Masters of Interior Design students from the U of M spent two days in a deep studio making their own books. In a few moments, we'll hear from two of those students, but first, to Associate Professor of Interior Design, Tijan Roshko, who chaired the studio, and Deborah Francis, who is the nationally respected Winnipeg bookbinding artist who offered the training. I began by asking Deborah Francis, what is the art of bookbinding? The art of bookbinding is taking a book and its design and basically creating an art piece with it, telling a story, using the book as a vehicle to explore design and art. Sometimes it's together with another artist. Sometimes the book itself is a piece of art. Sometimes it becomes a sculptural piece. And Tijan, what does book binding have to do with interior design? I don't quite see the link immediately. Yes, it is um, not that uh, quite evident when you look at it from uh, from a distance, but in actuality, the the method of making a book and designing an interior space is very much like the same act. And then they rely on very similar methodologies and also center of all of these things, the human body. And uh, that is the essence of uh, interior design. And uh, books are telling stories about humans and bodies that we keep stories to ourselves in, in our little hands in those beautiful books. The similarly, the interiority and exteriority of the books, and then very similar to interior spaces. There's uh, when you look at it uh, carefully, you can find a lot of uh, similarities. When did you figure out the link between bookbinding and interior design? Actually, when I found that link was when I met Deborah, which was a couple of years back in one of the Winnipeg Art Gallery events that um, I hold one of her creations in my hand, and then we start to talk about it. In that conversation, I realized that each book had a specific story to tell, a special narrative from the cover to interiors and meticulous detail integrated into the construction of the book. And I kept looking at it in greater detail, the interiority of the book, the exterior covers. It was just all about uh, storytelling and um, space making and it is uh, very similar to interior space making that uh, we tell stories and create memories within those spaces we pay attention to the details of the interiors as well as the creation of human needs and functions and memory and deborah what did you think when you were invited to come to this studio for interior design students I was excited right from the get-go. As soon as she started talking to me about it, I could see the link. And as we met, I actually realized how that deepened for me. But I could see that there was a link between 
how I design a book and the ideas of interior design. And as we met as a group, and as I heard Tijen talk and the other instructors, and then as I met the students and started to hear their ideas, I got a deeper sense of some of the common ground that we shared. What kind of materials go into bookbinding? Well, every book basically has pages and a cover and something to sew them together. But beyond that, those all three of those elements can be pushed out to a wide range. So for book covers, I've used basic wood. I've used bookboard that I cover with paper. I've used logs. I've used driftwood. For me, a lot of the pieces that I choose tie me to a place. And I like to take that as a starting point, something that I've found in a place that I love. I like to uh, be out in nature a lot. So I often pick up interesting pieces of wood. And then somehow that'll be the starting point for me to create a book that's based on something like that. I'm talking to you from a room that is full of books from floor to ceiling, which all have print on their pages. What's on the pages of your books? We also have our house full of books. I've loved books ever since I was small. But on the books that I make, some of them are blank, but not completely blank. I often put starting points on the pages that I make. Like I make blank books and then I also make artists books. I'll age the pages so that there's a starting point for someone else to pick up and to create from it. And one of the books that Tijen has of mine is a log book that has pages that have been aged. And in that process, there's these intricate little designs and those marks are pickup points for somebody else to to create their own artwork. Sometimes people put their words in there. Uh, sometimes I make books with artists and we create artists books so that will then the books will house prints of theirs. It really is as varied as the people that I work with. We have the similar kind of a conversation. When I was talking to uh, Deborah at the Winnipeg Art Gallery, I was holding her book and then I asked the question, when do you think that book is complete? She looked at me and she said, when the inside is filled, I will be drawing and filling the book and then showing it to her that is telling that um, the book is complete now. That is some kind of a thing that's going on between us, but it is a very interesting question. When is the book is complete? Is it an artwork all by itself or when it is really activated and telling some uh, other content put inside and then it has some kind of a different level of meaning, very similar to interiors. We create these beautiful spaces if it is not open to human use, if it is not created some special meaning and attachment by the humans or users, it has no meaning in a way. It just kind of an art piece sits empty. Tijan, why did you feel it was useful for your students to study bookbinding? Not necessarily a bookbinding, but if we kind of a step back a little bit, learning from an artist is a very important element for their learnings, in my opinion. When we were going through the program, we were taught by artists such as uh, Gordon Adaskin, Winston Leathers. These were very famous uh, Winnipeg and uh, national artists that they were teaching us 
through their eyes, we start to learn and understand the world around us and evaluate um, objects and forms and events through the eye of an artist. And I just found that particular uh, learning method was extremely important. Over the years, we just um, kind of uh, lost contact with the artist in our uh, teaching in, in, in our system. For the last um, couple of years, I just wanted to kind of remind myself of the importance of connecting with the local artist and the local knowledge accumulation and how do we kind of translate that or transfer, transmit that information from the local artist to our students. The studio that we are running is the second of its kind and last year we were working with another artist, uh, which was uh, specialized in knotting techniques, and we were creating some methodologies based on that. Bookbinding requires a lot of techniques. It's a very ancient form of art, ancient form of making, and it borrows from so many different fields, such as printmaking and uh, sewing and stitching, paper making, and a lot of other arts are kind of a convoluted and then revealed itself in this one particular ancient form. And it changes its position or kind of results over the centuries, but remain its essence remain the same. By using their methodologies, I'm inviting students to take a look at different forms of space making using the same terminologies, such as stitching and forming and folding and compiling and uh, punching. It's kind of a huge vocabulary that um, bookbinding established over the centuries. And then I want interior design students to take a look at this vocabulary and uh, use it as a methodology for their uh, studio project when they're developing their own design language. And uh, folding paper and folding space. Let's see what happens. It is a quite a exciting possibilities. Why students are uh, interested, do you think? Because um, our students are pretty uh, visually oriented and they're very good in with their hand making and with their hands. And this was kind of um, pretty important this time. Um, we were all trapped in the digital field and this was kind of a good treat for students to do things with their hands with uh, Deborah's guidance. Let's invite into our conversation two of the students who were part of the studio. They are Corey Harrison and Sean Hewlett. Hello, Corey. Hello, hello. And hello, Sean. Hello. So what was your experience in the bookbinding studio? Corey, perhaps I could turn to you first. I think for me in the bookbinding studio, it was just really eye-opening just to, you know, first of all, have Deborah, who is fantastic at what she does. You can see it in her movements and just to have her teaching you and going through the steps. And it's it's that learning process, which I think just relates back into interiors, that interiors were always learning about new things and trying to implement them in our designs you know, something like bookbinding, which might seem far-fetched. And if you want to try and compare it specifically to an interior design, you're still going to be able to learn from the methodology that you're doing and from that interaction with materials and the book and the concept that's always going to apply back into different in different ways in our field. And Sean, what kind of link did you see between bookbinding and interior design? As we were going through the physical process, these little like aha moments that would come in and influence and sort of make these connections so for me like the style of book binding that we learned this coptic binding is a binding that can be undone 
and then redone. So the book itself can be filled with content over and over and over again. Um, and for me, this was like a direct correlation to a practice that we uh, make use of a lot in interior design, which is adaptive reuse. You know, we're taking these buildings and we're constantly um, improving on them or, or, or changing them for, for adaptive users. And um, yeah, it was something that just came at me as we were doing it. What's meant by Coptic binding? Coptic is the name of the binding. Um, it was developed by the Coptics in about the fourth century. So that's the name given to the type of binding, which is basically, um, you know, uh, based on an interweaving of threads and that they used in carpet weaving. And they adapted that to layer parchment and then create a book-like structure in between wooden covers. So the books that we actually made in the session were pretty close to what they would have done, except we weren't using parchment or papyrus. We were using paper and, but using wood covers. The studio was over two days. Corey, what, what unfolded over those two days? The first day was really about understanding what we were doing and learning the process um, and starting to figure out exactly what we are you know, how to relate these things back to interior design. I, I mean, the first day was definitely, uh, for some people, you could say it was a bit of a painful experience with all the needles going into fingers and the like, <laughs> but uh, others, not so bad. For myself, I, I just found that I enjoyed the, just the ease of picking it up for myself and, and getting to work with my hands again on something tactile and really being able to experience what I'm working with, which you don't always get when you're working in, in the digital world of interior design. And Sean, each of you made and bound your own books, right? What did you make? Well, I made a um, about two inch by two inch uh, book. And I really enjoyed this process um, because I was able to tap into some of my former life as an artist, uh, as a, uh, a woodworker and as an epoxy artist, to be able to relate that to my new passion and my new uh, you know, career choice of interior design. So my book covers were made with um, two-part epoxy resin that I um, colored with different dyes and then mixed together and then took over to the table saw once it had all hardened and cut it to size. And it was just, it was a really nice connection for me personally from, you know, my past passions to my current passions. Corey, what did you create? Uh, so my book I created, uh, since we, we were trying to find just, a, you know, materials to work with. So I ended up grabbing a bunch of old table coasters that we had sitting around the house and putting those together and then creating a, a book out of that but for me it was interesting because although the materiality seemed simple in that it was sort of just a found material that i just sort of grabbed i was like well this will be interesting that experience of sort of learning to understand the material how it's going to apply to the book how to create it into what is going to be your finished uh, object is very interesting and then i added to it by creating um, some additional lighting inside of it so when the book is closed you have this light that's pouring out of the cover and when the book is open the light disappears and for me it became this metaphor of you know almost the entirety of the bookbinding studio with deborah that as the she is sort of that closed book shining of light but once she starts explaining the process to us she's opening up her book and that light is then being transferred to us from the inside of the pages as i recall your book was made of uh, what beer coasters with 1919 on them 
Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And 1919 is the great Winnipeg beer. It's one of the beers from Winnipeg. Uh, I believe they're from Little Brown Jug is the coasters that made them. Um, so re realistically, I don't know that much about it. Again, it was just one of those things we had in our house. My brother used to work there. So he had, I don't know why we had about a hundred of them, but we did. So I just, you know, I took those and grabbed them. But historically, I didn't really have that connection with the history of sort of any of it. But as it's, as I've found later on, uh, there's been so many connections to things. And I think that's just another thing that's, it's so fascinating is that to me, it was something fun and interesting to work with, but to someone else, it's something completely different. And the same experience happens all the times and into yours as well. Where did the idea of turning the book into a source of light come from? That probably just came from my own crazy imagination and my ability to make things harder on myself. Uh, <laughs> that's generally what I would say it came from. When we were first talking and learning about it, I, uh, the idea popped into my head and I was instantly like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And, you know, the next day I was regretting it, but I was still on the same path. So, <laughs> and it ended up, I mean, it turned out really nice and I really enjoyed it, but it just sort of came out of the blue and it was, it tapped into my past experience of, I used to, I took electronics in high school. So I had um, you know, AC and DC wiring experience, the so house wiring, and then, you know, compact wiring for models and stuff. So I sort of applied that into this to see if I could do it again, to just learn and explore and try something different and creative to see how it all worked out. Sean, uh, tell us more about what you created. My book is, as I said, it's about two inches by two inches. And um, the inspiration for the size of the book came from um, something that uh, Deborah mentioned when she was talking about different styles of books, um, she talked about um, monks um, who would have these sort of leather bound books that would be tied to their waists and that they could, um, as they were walking, uh, you know, to and from on their journeys, um, they could uh, just look down and read their book as they were walking. And, you know, if they had to turn up, they never had to worry about dropping it because it was literally tied to their waist. So I really like that idea. And I wanted to make something small that one could just keep with them, keep in your pocket, keep next to you. And the idea would be that you would write these sort of positive affirmations in it as your day went by and that you could always refer back to it. And then the bright colors of the epoxy itself kind of reaffirms that. So it's something to just bring a little bit of joy every time you see it. You know, I'm beginning to get it now. I'm beginning to see the connection between creativity, bookbinding, and the interior worlds and even exterior worlds. I mean, I, I love the idea of this. And having sat in and watched some of the, uh, of the studio, Deborah, I was amazed at some of the materials that the students worked with and what they did with them. I was too. Uh, that was what really got me going was seeing the creativity. And I think that's the great thing about bookbinding is that you can bring whatever it is that is part of your experience, like both Sean and Corey have talked about. They're, like, they brought their other experiences and brought them into their books. I would probably never think to light up a book with you know, with actual electricity and lighting, but you know, that's not my, that's not my past, but there's, for me, it's been that way in that all these skills that I've learned throughout my life, I can tie them into my books. Like, you know, and I, and that was what was exciting to see the students work with. Somebody made a book out of soap. She carved a design into the soap 
and bound it up. Somebody else used shoelaces because that was the only string they had. And I honestly, I didn't even think that could work because it'd be so thick. But, you know, they they really brought their A game to the books that they made from found materials in their own homes. And not only the object themselves, but uh, the whole process is a kind of a initiation of a design language uh, for their upcoming project. And um, it is uh, uh, the, the creativity is a very complex process that uh, you don't know you, how it starts and then how you control it and which direction it will take. And you have a lot of um, kind of a variation from person to person. There is no specific structure to it, but by being engaged and really focusing on an item that you create with your hands, it's the beginning of the whole creative process. From there, several levels of abstractions can take place, and then some new terminologies can be developed, new languages and new um, associated words and directions can be taken from this, this avenue. This is just the beginning of the road. It is particularly the metaphoric approaches in Corey's case is another avenue that he can utilize. And um, maybe in um, in Sean's case, the scale relationship to the human body, and maybe it is kind of the colors, and maybe it is the edge, and then the textural variations could be a source of inspiration. Overall, uh, the other very important element here is the transmission of knowledge from the local to the new generation. That is what has been achieved here. That is um, that I am very proud of. Whatever uh, the knowledge and then expertise Deborah accumulated over the years, now it has been transmitted to a new generation of students, and now they're going to use this experience for the rest of their lives, and then. Um, pass it on to other uh, new generations. And then so we're kind of a creating kind of a knowledge continuity here too. And then by utilizing those new vocabulary, new methodologies, they are starting up their own creative processes as well. Along the way, we're also finding a tremendous amount of similarities um, with interiors and then the book binding itself. None of them are complete ever. You write things and you edit it, and then it is exactly similar. Uh, same thing is for the interiors. It is editive and it is completely uh, changeable and changes over the years and um, the life their own and stories their own to tell. And um, it is a very good combo, in in my opinion. It's a good marriage. John, for you, what do you imagine would be the ways that you would apply what you learned in the bookbinding studio to work in interior design? Um, certainly, there's a lot of patience <laughs> involved in both. For me, as with any artistic practice, it's the process, you know, my personal process doesn't doesn't change. It's trying to find uh, inspiration through through metaphor, through story, um, bringing that into the language of whatever I'm designing, constantly trying to make connections and then literal connections with the book as you're sewing this metaphor together uh, with the content inside. I hope that <laughs> was a, uh, Answers, a, a yeah. cohesive answer there. 
Yeah, it is. It is very hard to describe your own processes. It just comes from every direction. You cannot follow one kind of a standard formula. And um, that's basically kind of a beginning of the road and inspiration comes from any direction. The language can come from any area that in a meaningful sense combines itself in into the space making profession. No. As artists, we, we do learn from each other quite a bit. So yeah. having the opportunity to learn from artists like Deborah, um, it impacts my creative process the same way that would be impacted if I were to, you know, be able to attend a museum or an art gallery or see a play or, you know, hear some beautiful music. It really gets the creative process flowing and opens up new avenues of thought. Um, so in my interior design process, I might look at um, a a solution to a problem from a different angle inspired by the solutions to the bookbinding process. Corey, your book made of the coasters from the 1919 beer illuminated from the inside. In what way would that exemplify for a potential employer of your interior design skills? What, what you know and what you can do? From the sort of the basic standpoint, they can get an idea or a sense of the creative element that I can bring to a team. I worked with an object that maybe was a lot, I mean, it's a round object, so I had to adjust it and fix it and create it to make it into a, a, an easier shape for me. But I think that kind of idea of the ability to work with something that's maybe not as rectilinear can be seen as a positive because there's going to be times where you're working in a space that's going to be a lot more curvilinear. So you're going to be working with that curves and you're going to be working within that sort of that envelope that you have to adjust and change your plans. So the ability, you know, an employee can look at what I've done and be like, okay, so he's taken this object and created his own thing within it while using, while being sort of confined into the space that it is or to the shape that it is. Deborah, I know that you've taught in a lot of parts of the country and you regularly travel to, what is it, Malcolm Island out in British Columbia. And lots of people come to study with you. But what was your experience of working with Masters of Interior Design students? In what way were they different students from the people that you generally teach? There was just this real intensity and readiness to innovate right away with what they were learning. You know, they were quite ready to take what I was teaching them, but jump into something else right away. I mean, for me, that was really cool to see how they took it and right away were able to adapt. I think the format helped that where right away I don't usually give assignments to people who come and um, learn from me. It's more of a workshop, but they had an assignment right away to take it and use their imagination. And so I could see that they were interior designers by the way they talked about their books, the way they talked about the process and the questions that they asked me. It, it helps me to look at my book binding from a different perspective too. So I was also learning as I was hearing them interact with it, it would be like, whoa, I've never thought about it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. So Tijan, what do you think your Masters of Interior Design students really got from this whole process? One big learning experience from this process is a new set of skills and that they can apply to their space making. And then the other important thing is, particularly for this project, they made an a very precious item with their own hands. It is an item that has already 
filled and imbued with meaning and emotions. And now in the museum design project, uh, every time we see a precious object, which is encased within a museum building, we just look at it and we go by it. And now they actually have that precious object and then understand the meaning of this from the point of view of an artist, how to case it, how to put it. A second level of learning is what are the details? How do you pay attention to details for an item that is used for human consumption in every aspect? The scale relationship is very close and very small. And um, interior design is a smaller scale engagement with the environment, but this is even closer. So that's again, paying attention to details, the size of the stitches and form of the stitches. That's how you stitch the entire interiors, layer by layer. And uh, that was a kind of a metaphoric exercise of making an interior in your hands. Tijan Roshko is an associate professor of interior design at the University of Manitoba and the chair of the studio. Deborah Francis is a Winnipeg-based bookbinding artist. Corey Harrison and Sean Hewlett are both students in the Masters of Interior Design program. Prairie Design Lab is created by the faculty, students, and graduates of the University of Manitoba. I'm Terry McLeod. You can find us on Spotify and on Apple and Google Podcasts. You can hear us on the radio on UMFM 101.5 FM on Wednesday mornings at 1130. Thanks for listening today. See you next week.